I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Des Bishop podcast. It's uh, Saturday, 1039 a.m. New York time, and uh, I know in Ireland, you're having like an amazing weather day, whereas here it's absolutely freezing. The wind is howling. I mean, it's sunny, but the wind is, is like my house is literally shaking. My house is on stilts and it shakes in the wind. And, um, you know, I have like a little thin TV and the TV is just rocking away there. And it's like, Right now, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It was, it was zero this morning. My stairs were frozen. And it was three degrees about an hour ago. Oh, it's six degrees now. Six degrees and like gusting, g- blowing a gale, as we say in Ireland. Um, and, uh, you know, <clears throat> I apologize because by, by, by scheduling standards, I should have had a podcast up yesterday. But actually, what happened was, I got so excited that it looked like we were going to get a bit more structure on Stephen and Joanne being sort of part of the team. And we started thinking about a name. Um, I like the green room. Stephen had suggested the green room, which I like because it's got an Irish thing, you know, sort of understated thing. But we're comics, so there's the performance thing, and it's just like that place where you chat. Problem is, there's a lot of green room podcasts already as a name. I mean, there was a few shift podcasts also when I went with that name, but um, I think the green room podcast could be problematic. Um, Sean McGloss, but you know you can't you can't get into the Irish language stuff. Nobody would be able to f- figure it out, you know. So uh, anyway, um, I got so excited about that that I kind of forgot that. I got to keep going, you know? Um, And, you know, also though, and I I think maybe a lot of people will identify with this, the deeper we get into the pandemic, it feels like the less there is to talk about. Um, Because we're at, we're actually at that weird, I feel like this is a weird junction of, we're all sick of the lockdown, right? That, that, that's, that's a fact you know, and we're all sort of dying to get out of the lockdown. But we all also know that when we get out of the lockdown, we may find out that we're, we, there's no, there's not a chance that life is going to get back to normal. And most likely we're going to realize that shit's getting worse again. And then we're going to face that dilemma of how much how much worse are we willing to accept? It, it's a tough, tough call. I know I've talked about it already, but it's like the big issue of 2020 is what's the right amount of lockdown until we get a vaccine, you know? Um, I'd be lying if I, if I didn't say, I don't believe in God, but if there is a God, the Lord works in mysterious ways because the biggest pusher of just fuck it, let's open up, of course, is Trump and his cronies. And lo and behold, they now have three cases, in, in uh, White House cases. I mean, like, there is corona in the White House right now. Stephen Miller's wife has corona. Now, I don't want anyone to be sick. I don't want anyone in the hospital. But if, I don't want Stephen Miller's wife in the hospital, okay? I want her to, have, I want her to be asymptomatic and be fine. But if... She does get very sick and ends up in the hospital, which I don't want. But if she does, which would be against my wishes, and I'm not just being sarcastic. If she does, though, she needs hospital care. I hope that it's only immigrants that look after her. 
because on top of the fact that there is corona in the White House, that is poetic justice. But a deeper justice would be that only immigrants look after the wife of Stephen Miller, the the big pusher of Trump's anti-immigration policy. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if I said this, but a previous guest of ours, Dr. Julia Yafati, has since had her green card application denied, despite working on the front lines in New York in the hottest of hotspots in the United States. She uh, was denied a green card, I assume due to this blanket policy of no immigration at the moment, which they're sort of using the pandemic to further their anti-immigration policies. So it would be, she was on CNN, by the way, talking about that. Um, It would be uh, a a funny thing. But at the same time, like, I I don't want people to think in any way that I'm wishing harm. And it would be very easy to wish harm. It would be very easy to wish that Trump gets the corona, which I do want him to get. The problem is that Trump is in his, you know, mid-70s. You know, and he's on the he's on the far side of mid seventies, and I just I I don't want to wish uh, that much danger on anyone. So I don't want to say I'd love Trump to get Corona because even though it would be so funny, it's too dangerous in his case. You know, if he was like a forty four year old president, I'd probably be like, I hope he gets it, but he's just too it's too dangerous for him. The problem is that as much as I express concern for the welfare of Donald Trump because he is part of the human race, I do have a problem with the fact that he doesn't have the same concern for others. Certainly in the sense that there's a great hypocrisy that goes on in terms of from way too early, Trump has been saying we got to get back to normal, people can social distance. And he sort of, he put forward this utopia of we can open up while at the same time being responsible citizens, making all these assumptions that people with social distance isolate when they've had contact with a confirmed case, that there'd be loads of, uh, you know, tracing going on. And there'd be all these things that would make, uh, you know, opening up uh, have the least amount of harm with the most amount of positive benefit to the economy, which, of course, is we all want to believe that. We all want to believe that that's possible, but we know for a fact that it's not because we already tried it at the very beginning and it was a failure. And at every, at every junction, we realize that you can't rely on people's personal responsibility. It never works. It's one of the main reasons why we have government in the first place is because y- you can't rely on people you know, being in charge. These personal responsibility arguments... You know, they they constantly come up. They come up around alcohol consumption. They come up around drug consumption. You know, they come up around all these areas. The problem is that they all fall flat on the fact that when you're personally irresponsible, the benefit or the, sorry, the, the negative is not on you. It's on society. That's the problem. You know, it's all well and good to say a person's alcohol consumption is their personal responsibility. The problem is when they overconsume, they can cause harm to others and they can certainly use up the resources of the public health service or, or any health service, which is in particularly in the case of Ireland, funded by the people. So it doesn't add up these personal responsibility arguments. And it's, 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 it's even more apparent here where you have a personal responsibility argument coming nonstop on Fox News, people... Uh, you know, can take the risks. That's what they say. People can take their own risks. And it's like, yeah, but when they take that risk, who picks up the slack when it goes wrong for them? The health service. Other people who possibly will get the virus because other people took risks and spread the virus. So it's not a matter of personal responsibility. It's a matter of communal responsibility. And communal responsibility is hard to achieve without some level of leadership and without some level of regulation. Legal regulation. But they just want to just jump away from that because it doesn't suit them right now. And I get it. I understand the motivation that the economic damage may be too much. I mean, I get it. I, I totally understand the, the fear and the frustration. The problem is that the very person who started talking about personal responsibility and the ability, the ability to social distance while reopening can't follow the basic law which is, if you've had contact with a confirmed case, you have to self-isolate for two weeks. 
It's no, the, the, so Trump's valet has the corona, and uh, I believe two other people in the White House, including Stephen Miller's wife, who is vice uh, Mike Pence's press secretary, and has had direct contact with the uh, with people. Um, they don't isolate. Pence didn't isolate. He went to Iowa. Trump hasn't isolated. He went and hung out with a bunch of 90-year-old World War II veterans. They don't isolate. They don't follow the basic rules that they said people should follow if we decide to have an opening up. And if they don't, other people won't. And I don't just mean people will follow Trump's lead because obviously that's the truth that a lot of people will just be like, well, the president didn't do it. I wouldn't do it. But it's, it's not even about that because the reality is that nobody was ever going to do it anyway. Not everyone is responsible. Not everyone can associate their own behavior with the benefit or negative uh, effect on other human beings. It's hard for us to do that. I mean, who here, between the middle of March and now, has not once or twice felt like a touch under the weather and, and sort of thought, ooh, should I isolate? You know, you, you, first of all, don't even know. You don't even know without the testing. And even with the testing, it doesn't matter because it could be days from now when, uh, you know, uh, when you actually, when it shows up on the test. You know, so of course, you're going you're gonna to be in denial. Most people are going to choose the path of least resistance. So most people, even with a hint of concern, are probably going to lean towards on being paranoid, whether they are or not. And they have no way of knowing no way of getting that quick test. So there's always going to be, it's always going to be a problem. You're never going to be able to control it to the extent that they were saying. That was a farce. And now they're proving it by going around. I mean, the White House could end up being like a fucking super spreading location because these people aren't isolating. But we'll see. We'll see. I don't want it to be because I don't want those people to get hurt. But sometimes I feel like I want it to be because the limited amount of people that will get hurt because of what's happening in the White House, will change policy. And therefore, everyone will slow the fuck down on this haphazard reopening that's bound to delay things getting better in the long term. So we'll see what happens with that. You know, I mean, I don't have much, uh, you know, much other sort of, you know, I, I don't really have much other Trump stuff. You know, people have been saying, where's your Trump rants gone? Well, first of all, he stopped doing his press conferences because they were becoming majorly damaging to him because it was just so obvious that he was full of shit, you know? Um, And now he's just, all he talks about now really is the reopening. I mean, he's basically just kind of like put Corona onto the governors and, you know, even on Fox News this morning, it was just about some of these governors are going too slow. You know, that's all they... That's all they really care about. And then his other main focus is this Michael Flynn thing and slowly trying to dismantle all the findings of the Mueller report, which, depending on what side of the debate you're on, is either one of the most scary things you've ever seen in terms of uh, overreach of government from the current administration or the previous administration. And, you know, I haven't really dug into it deep enough to know all I know is that some people seem to think that this is, you know, slowly Trump has set up a, a, a DOJ that will just do his bidding, and that's what's happening here, or they're slowly finding evidence of this great conspiracy within the FBI to fuck with Trump. I mean, I find the second option a touch hard to... Well, well, first of all, here's the simple thing. If that is true, and that was possible... What's to say that that's not what's going on now? Like, who do you believe? You know, in a situation where you completely undermine uh, trust in in these institutions, then who's to say that that's not what go- what's going on with you? You know, I mean, considering the track record of of Trump's lies, you you would have to maybe believe more in the past than the present. But you know, I'm biased. You know, I just. Just this whole James Comey thing, you know, just basically this whole narrative of James Comey being this great evil person who was plotting against Trump. Just to me, it just never adds up because really he fucked Hillary more than Trump. You know, I mean, 
They didn't even let this shit out of the bag during the election, which they could have done and screwed Trump and they didn't. So I don't really get it, you know. I, I, I don't get this whole grand plan by the FBI to fuck Trump over, you know. Um, I also, you know, it, like, it's just hard to know because, like, Obama knew Flynn and had a problem with Flynn even before all this shit. And he warned Trump not to hire him. So it's just strange. Like, he actually warned Trump, like, not to get into this mess with him, you know. And he did. And then it blew up in his face. And, of course, he's done everything to make it seem like it's a plot against him. But I don't know. It could be, you know. I, I you know, I, I just, I don't know. The problem is that this all just neatly sort of fits into a narrative that Trump's been pushing from the get-go. And Trump is very good at just making shit up. So I don't know who to believe. But I also, I haven't gotten into this one so much because it's not the big issue of our time i mean they make it seem like it's the big issue of our time but you know it's too political to believe anybody right now that's the truth you know um i just don't know how Mueller ended up with this great anti-trump agenda you know this just like just the people that the amount of people that are supposedly plotting against trump it just doesn't add up you know in terms of like where this desire to take down Trump would come from. I don't get it. It doesn't add up. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I certainly know that Trump wouldn't have any concern about undermining the trust in all the institutions for his own benefit, you know. But moving forward, it seems to be quite dangerous. But um, we will see. Um, I see that. Oh, by the way. I finished Normal People, and I have a lot to say about it. I'm going to wait for the shift on on Monday, and I'm going to talk to Joanne and uh, Steve about it. Uh, I will give plenty of notice so that there's no spoilers. I'm not going to give any spoilers now, but very mixed feelings about it. I mean, it's a very well-made series, and it's a beautiful love story. However... The things that I loved most about the series were not really related to the relationships. I found the relationship stuff exceptionally frustrating. That possibly is my age, you know? It's possibly just like, you know, you want to be like, you want to just maybe just ask one question rather than just make these sweeping assumptions and walk away. You know, everything just seems to be like convenient in terms of their abruptness with not sort of resolving a situation it's quite convenient for pushing the story forward but at this you know so i found that quite frustrating but apparently a lot of people seem to really see themselves in those relationships but i I don't know you know with that that much of a connection that uh um that much of a connection uh that you would like lack that much interaction you know or certainly that one one of the two wouldn't be like looking to just get a little bit of clarity. Um, But anyway, that's neither here nor there. That stuff is, you know, that stuff is interesting. Their relationship is interesting. Uh, But on a deeper level, you know, just the elements of Irish people dealing with their emotions, the familiarity of the Irish setting, Irish family relationships, class distinctions, all that stuff is great to watch. The sex scenes are, 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 are terrifically made. I mean, I didn't find them like... People are like, oh my God, they're the best sex scenes ever. Like, I think they're really well done sex scenes. But like, funnily enough, they did nothing. I don't know if that's to do with the pandemic or their age or what. I don't know, but it just did nothing for me in terms of like sexual titillation, which is totally fine, you know? Um, I like I liked their I liked their, their togetherness. I thought it was shot really well. I love Lenny Abramson. I think... I should have read the book first, really, uh, Sally Rooney seems to be really just, you know, it's just an amazing sort of tale to tell. Uh, but the thing I got most was just them. I just loved their dysfunction, individual dysfunction. I saw myself in both of them to a degree at times. Um, and and I liked I liked the modern take at looking at how those how that emotional dysfunction manifests itself in the modern world, you know, sexual dysfunction and uh, obviously emotional dysfunction um, 
uh, familiar, I don't want to give away anything, so familiar stories of the dark side of that in Ireland. Um, and and just those moments when, when you have a moment of emotional honesty and how that affects you. You know, that stuff was fucking great to watch, especially with an Irish accent on it, you know, because people connect with that. And I got to think that for the Gen Zs and the Millennials, that they're, it, it, it's speaking their language, you know? And I, I, I like that, you know? And the way they communicate, you know, you know, uh, you know, sort of like, it feels a bit like seven to eight years ago. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Uh, or maybe like five to six years ago, sort of virtual communication. Just a touch dated, but like everyone can identify with it, which is nice, you know, to just to watch relationships evolve, you know, in a, in, in a, in a familiar setting of what we know now. But also it's nice to watch how people of that age develop with all that, you know, because obviously when I was that age, because, you know, you watch these relationships and of course you, 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 you go back into these incredible memories of your own life at that time and college, you know, for me, I was in UCC, but there's a lot of similar stuff, you know, and just fucking, you know, I mean, the, the Trinity wankers that put you off, but anyway, you, you got to watch it, you know, but I, I, there's no spoilers to say that there's fucking, there's annoying college students in it, but even that was like, yeah, I remember these fucking arseholes, you know, people that are just don't know themselves yet and there's an arrogance that comes with that you know uh, a, a false confidence a bravado uh and, and particularly like in university setting people express that through maybe like uh loving the sounds of their own voice and arguments and it, it was it was it, all that stuff is great you know the only reason i struggle with it at times because i found their relationship very frustrating i turned it off a number of times but in saying that, it's worth getting through that frustration just because it's, it's, it's so, it really does make you think about various aspects of your own life. And I, I, I certainly, I mean, for me, it was very interesting because to go back to university, like for me, that was such a, a changing time, which I, I mentioned very recently in, a, in an episode about my time in Cork. But like, I, I really did like find myself during university and oddly enough, all this emotional journey that goes on in the show, and I don't want to give anything away, but certainly uh, people challenging each other on where they're at emotionally and, and forcing them to express themselves at a time where possibly they're trying to keep something in, that was very much a part of my early recovery life. So actually, there was a lot of that that, that was you know, it, it, interesting for me, especially when you watch people doing it outside of the recovery context where you just... You know, you, you you realize that it's a human thing. It's not an addict thing or uh, or somebody with mental health issues thing. It's just a human thing, you know. So I liked all that too. Um, so if that's not a good sort of uh, motivation to watch it, I don't know what is, you know. Um, and uh, I thought the performances were exceptional. Paul Meskel and what is it, Sophie, Sophie Edgar Jones or Sophia Edgar Jones? Very good. I mean, she's not Irish, but her accent was spot on. He he was great, you know. He was just like, yeah, he was he was good, you know. Complex character. Now, I have to say that I did think that he was very much a man written by a woman, but I was cool with that, you know. 
I mean, how, how, how many women have we watched that are written by men? Like, I think about the frustrations that women must have had over the years looking at all these sort of, like, female characters that just they can't connect with, perhaps, because it's just, like, it's written with a lack of understanding for, for, for what a woman is. Um, and I, I don't think that Connell is written with a lack of understanding of what a man is, but I do. it, it does feel to me like a woman... A, a man written by a woman, but but in a good way, you know, because there are elements of him that I feel like is a is a female fantasy. Of, it's almost like, how can I write this ideally flawed man? <laughs> you know, like like he's flawed, but in a way that really suits a woman. <laughs> you know, but it's still fucking. It's it's really interesting. You know, it's really interesting. Um, and there's a lot of I have to say there's a lot of care in that character you know it's not like he's the neglected character i mean i almost feel like he's still the character that has been given more care you know i don't know about in the book but in the series like he seems to be the one that has has been has been has has been nurtured more by the writer now it's not 100 percent true because her character is fucking fascinating and possibly to be able to write her character as complicated as she is requires an even deeper understanding of woman than a woman trying to understand a man that that her you know you know because you know i i find yeah again i don't want to give anything away but she she's a tough she's tough you know tough really interesting character you know really really interesting and 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 it's the kind of series that stays with you after like it's more enjoyable a couple of days later in your head it's like a bolognese it's better the next day you know um, it's like a good fucking Irish stew. Just let it fucking sit for a couple of days, reheat it in your head, and fuck, it's so good. Like, it's all mushed together, and it just makes sense. You know, it all makes sense. So I'll be, I will, I, I apologize in advance, but there'll probably be a couple of episodes where that comes up as I discuss it with other people. Um. Uh, so. But I do recommend watching it, even if you don't. I, I said it to a, a, a male friend of mine, funnily enough, an actor friend of mine. And I said, you got to watch normal people. He's in Ireland. I said, you got to watch normal people. It's, it's fucking interesting. I said, it's frustrating at times, but it's interesting. And he messaged me back and said, I tried to watch one episode. I turned it off. I hated it. So then I said, I tried the book and I hated the book too. I was like, wow. But, you know, he's my age. And I, I definitely feel like it's not written for 44-year-old men, you know, 43-year-old men, uh, which is fine. But I was I, – I, personally, for me, I was fascinated by it. But, but I do think that certain elements of the frustration are, are due to the fact that I'm a 44-year-old man. Um, you know, and, and possibly you see yourself slightly on the outside of, of, of the way that they're – experiencing life you know which is totally fine that's just 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 the generation gap in in full effect you know um but i personally like that that grating feeling of like why do i want to turn this off like i like asking myself that question why why do i fuck why am i desperate to turn this fucking thing and i did two two times i was just like click like mid fucking scene not even like you know, a scene when they're in the car. There's a scene when one of my turnoffs, and I'm not going to, there's no spoiler here because I'm not going to say anything. But for those that have seen it, there's a scene when they're in the car. And it's just like, they, they, they're like so different to what we've, what we've gotten to know. And it's just like, what? Like, click, like, fuck off. Like, I just wasn't buying it, you know? I was like, fuck off. But I got, you know, you get back into it, you get past it, you know? Um... It's like watching fucking sports and like the fucking, you know, the match is just going bad and you fucking turn it off and then you go on Twitter and you realize like they're, they're, they're coming back and you're like, well, fuck, I shouldn't have turned it off, you know, get back into it. So uh, that was one of the, my fucking turnoffs, you know, and uh, the other one is the, the, the I, my other turnoff was, a, was the holiday. I, there was a moment there I was just like, oh, fuck off. This is, you know, like, who the fuck does this, you know? Uh, but I, again, I got back into it, you know? And there's loads of shit that I just wasn't buying, but that's fine, you know? That's fine. 
and and plus it's a fucking romance like it's a fucking it's a it's a it's a it's a romance drama and that's never been my bag and like the 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 deep romantic stuff some of it i liked and some of it i mean i liked a lot of the dialogue i actually thought a lot of their dialogue their their sort of expressing their connection dialogue was really interesting but you know there was just you know there's a lot of focus on their relationship and like after a while i was just like just don't give a fuck you know but i was willing to sort of get past that because the other stuff was just so interesting you know fascinating you know and then obviously this whole fascination with connell's chain is great and i'm sure you all know about the instagram account connell's chain but if you don't or connell's necklace uh, but if you don't check that out on Instagram, it's pretty funny. I mean, it's just, it's great too in an Irish context that something so Irish is so celebrated internationally, you know? That part is great. Coincidentally enough, speaking of UCC, one of my UCC classmates casted it, Louise Kylie, um, who was, I was chatting to on Instagram yesterday, congratulating her. Uh, and uh, we were in the Death and the Maiden, well, we were in two plays together. Oh, geez, actually, coincidentally enough. The person I mentioned before uh, d- was the director of the first play that I did with Louise, um, which was kind of a bit of a mess. But anyway, uh, that's how I got to know Louise. But then we did Death and the Maiden together. I think we only did two plays together. But uh, she uh, she was doing law in UCC, but then she went to the Gaiety School of Acting. And then in the end, she got into casting, which was so cool because she's doing really well now. Anyway, she cast it. And I think she did a fantastic job. I mean... What a find Paul Mescal is. I mean, he wasn't a total find. I mean, he studied acting and he was doing stage work, but he didn't have a ton of on-screen experience. And then she was just, she was perfect, like, in terms of her physicality. You know, the way she looked just, to me, seemed perfect. I didn't read the book, but it was just, like, a kind of a understated attractiveness, but with a cuteness to it, but also a sharpness in her, the way she presents herself. It was, it was, it was great, you know? So, uh, so, um... What was that? Why did I mention that? Oh, yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So uh, I, I thought the casting was great. So well done to Louise. And um, all in all, I, I just I just recommend people watching it. Otherwise, uh, some of these podcasts in the next couple of days are going to be pretty boring. Uh, finally, for today, um, uh, if you're not sick of my dog stories, I... Um, uh, Becky got adopted. Becky's gone to her forever home, um, and which I'm happy about, actually. Um, and you know, because I really think that Becky should be out here, Suffolk County. You know, I like it's just a tough life for a pit bull in the city. Like, you just be constantly rejected. You know, like everywhere you go, you'd be like people walking away. And um, I'm writing this new comedy drama like a dramedy and uh we're definitely putting in like a, a like like getting a pitbull episode you know and just how everyone reacts you know essentially like people just look, look the other way like and dog parks empty out when you show up so I, I i think that like becky will do really well in a out here in suffolk county somebody with a big yard um you know and you just don't have to deal so much with the the you know too much like seeing other dogs and you know you just play with the dogs you know and you know i just think that's better for her um and then uh so anyway the 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 shelter was frustrating me a little bit but i wanted to go back and uh say goodbye to becky so i said i'd foster one more dog from the shelter because i wanted an excuse to go there and say goodbye to becky uh which actually as it turns out it didn't even happen because it took so long to sort out getting another dog because of the pandemic. Like you can't, everything's by appointment. And anyway, long story short, I was there for an hour and a half trying to pick up, a, trying to get a dog. Uh, and when I finally, I, 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 so I get this dog, Layla. Now all the dogs they have now, they told me that, that all the dogs they have have some issues, right? Which is good because you're a foster. You want to try to help these dogs out. And uh, so, they showed me one dog, which is a senior, even though he doesn't have the senior energy. He has a puppy energy, even though he's like 10 years old. He was a big-ass pit bull who I really liked. And the only reason I didn't pick him was because Layla, who's much smaller, 
uh, she just seemed to be more interested in me, you know? So I was like, you know what? Let me go for her. Plus the big guy was uh, shedding a lot. Whatever his mix was, because they're all mixes. Whatever his mix was, he didn't really have like a pit bull coat. And I, I quite like the, the pit bull coat, you know? Like I feel like he might have been mixed with some sort of like husky or something, you know? But he was a big, he, he looked actually like, like a pit bull Dalmatian. He was a big old beast. And um, you never know, I might take him the next time. But uh, Layla is cute. But Layla had a stroke before. So she has like a side tilt to her head. And she has like a, she's not super coordinated. You know, she has like a bit of a sort of a semi-drunken gait. Um, but she was cute. And she seemed interested in me straight away. Sat for me straight away. Took some treats. Um, and also pretty energetic. Both dogs were clearly more energetic than Becky was, which I was ready for, you know, because Becky was exceptional, but Becky would be a dog I'd want to keep. But Becky like was easy, almost too easy. You feel like you're, you're not helping anybody, you know, Becky's very adoptable, you know, Becky find her home and happy days, you know, Layla, who funnily enough, just like made, oh, she's just lying down. Becky, uh, or Layla, sorry. Um, is uh, oh Aiden's calling me? Let me answer that just in case. Aido, I'm just actually recording a podcast. What's up? Okay, I'll call you back when I'm done. Peace. Um, no, I should have asked. I was actually going to ask him to do the pod just to chat, but I didn't. I shouldn't have. Um, because clearly he's free. So uh, anyway, Layla, I'll, I'll shorten the story for those that follow me on Instagram. You'll know. So they tell me that she, they say she's all right with other dogs, but she doesn't like if a dog gets on her back. Um, but at this stage, after the Becky experience, I'm just basically assuming that in West Hampton Dunes, I'm, I'm not letting her interact with other dogs. I'm just like, I'm just not letting these shelter rescues that aren't puppies and haven't been socialized. I'm just not dealing with the posh people of West Hampton Dunes reacting to my fucking shelter killing machine barking at their dogs so i uh and then they also they don't say anything else you know um but i do know that she's been returned a couple of times so she's been adopted twice and returned so we know she's not perfect so anyway i get her home now i'm a little jammed up because i have to do something at 2 30 and it took way longer at the shelter than I than I wanted so I only have about a half an hour with her before I have to go out now the one of the last things that the the trainer said to me was um she just sleeps in her crate most of the day so I take it as she's very happy in a crate I get home she comes in happy out runs around the house uh you know first I give her a walk actually Give her a little walk after the car. She pees. Then I take her in the house. She does her sniff sniff. You know, I get her nice and comfortable in the house. Uh, some treats. She seems very happy. And uh, I open the crate. She gets in the crate. No, no, like cajoling. Uh, I do the usual. Put a few things in the crate. And she seems very happy there. I close the gate. She lies down straight away. No problem. I go out. I come back two hours later. And she's growling a bit. So that's all right. I think like no big deal growling. You know, she doesn't really know me. And I know that it wasn't ideal that, you know, she didn't have enough time to get comfortable with me. But that's okay, you know. And and then as I get a little closer, I mean, I, I've never seen anything like it. Like straight up out of a film about bad dogs. She is fucking lunging at the, the gate. She's slamming up against the door. She's like biting the the metal and and barking like like killer barks like like literally i'm gonna fucking kill you and i i'm clueless because now this is a shelter pit bull you know i no idea of the history and she's fucking losing it inside my house and what's even worse is i have a zoom call in 15 minutes you know for a writer's room for the dramedy that i'm telling you about and I'm like, holy shit. Because, you know, I was thinking like Becky mode. I was thinking I'll get home, give her a quick walk, and then we'll sit down on the Zoom call and she'll fucking get up on my lap and chill. You know? Which is what always happened with Becky. 
and what you know she seemed to be even before I left. She seemed to already be in like cuddle mode. So, so oh, fuck me, man. So I'm like now I'm in the house. It's like pet, the shelter's closed, and I, I have a dog going insane. I mean, like fucking insane and incessant, nonstop, fucking teeth, you know. So luckily, because of the pandemic, one of the trainers from the shelter um, is working from home. So when she calls me, she calls me from her work mobile. Thank fuck, man. And I call her, and she's like, oh, God, whatever you do, don't try to open the crate. Like, her reaction was made me feel even worse because... You know, you would think the trainer would be like, it's all right, we'll just go. She, so then she admits to me that there's a history with the crate. That the previous adopters had cats. And you can't test a dog with cats. You have to just take them home and hope it works out. Because you can't bring the cats to the shelter, you know. There's no way to do like a test. So it turns out that these adopters had been leaving the dog in the crate. And the cat was coming over. And like scratching the dog through the crate and the dog couldn't get out. So the cat was fucking terrorizing the dog in the crate and creating this this nightmare scenario in a crate. And when the daughter, one of the times, went to get the dog out of the crate when she was fucking freaking out about getting out of the crate, she bit the daughter. So she has a bite history, which they didn't tell me about. Now, there was no broken skin, wasn't a big deal, and I'm not trying to get the shelter in any trouble, I'm just trying to tell you a story, because truth be told, I don't really care, some people love the drama, but like, I just don't even care about that, you know, like, I'm quite happy to try to like, give some, a few weeks of happiness to a dog that bit somebody in a terrible situation before, but at the same time, um, I, uh, I would have liked to have known, you know, Uh, especially because I was making a decision between fucking, you know, the Dalmatian pit bull and her, I would have liked to known like, hey, she's not good in the crate. The thing was that she was good in the crate in the shelter. So they had no idea if her previous inside a house crate scenario was going to manifest itself, which it did in spades. So this woman is on the phone with me trying to calm, trying to get me to calm the dog down. So her strategy was just keep walking by, don't say anything, but every time you walk by, just like throw in a few bits of food. And it was so annoying because the food kept hitting the fucking gate and not going in, and I thought the dog's going to think I'm fucking with it. Long story short, I had about 20 minutes of that, and then I had to take, I was late for my Zoom meeting, but I had to take the, I had to do that. So she was like, it's fine, I need to have dinner anyway, so... She said, personally for me, it sounds like her barking has changed pitch. So I actually think we're making progress. I think she was full of shit. But either way, she was probably right. At the time, I'm saying I thought she was full of shit. So I take my Zoom call. Uh, I, I mean, I explained to them. We were laughing about it. But I showed them this fucking killing machine inside the crate inside my house. I uh, did the Zoom call for actually about an hour. And, you know, I feel bad because the dog now, like, needs a walk. Like, the dog probably needs to piss. And, like... I have no desire to fucking leave the dog in the crate. I just have to for safety. Um, so then the woman says, call me when you're done with the Zoom call. I'll have my dinner. So I call her twice. She does not answer. Right? So now I'm like going back to the method. So I do a bit more back and forth and she's still barking, but she's calming down like, Now she stops barking when the food goes in, and then she goes back to barking. So what I decided to do is for a while, I lie on the couch in in sight of the crate. And after a couple of barks, she calms down while I'm just lying there. And I lied there for like 10 minutes, just like letting her get used to me being there. Then I went back a couple of more walks, a couple of more tosses. And then I called again. She didn't answer. So then I said, I'm going to... I'm going to sit a little closer. So I sat down close to the crate and she, she wasn't barking anymore. So I said, I'd throw a couple of, uh, you know, now I'm throwing the bits in, but I'm pretty close now. So I'm getting them in every time. And, uh, she seems to, uh, honestly, she seems to have changed. It was like an amazing fucking transition. 
And one time in the middle of me thinking she was comfortable, she gave out one more bark, which actually scared the shit out of me, but more like in a horror movie way, like I wasn't expecting it. And uh, and then suddenly she starts spinning in the crate in a way that I know means I just want to get out of here. Like, I, I, I'm not worried about you anymore. I need to get the fuck out of this crate. And, but I'm like thinking, is this bitch tricking me here? You know, she wants to fucking eat me. So um, I grabbed the leash and I can see she fucking dying for a walk. But I don't want to fucking let her out of the crate until I talk to the woman. So I'm like in front of the crate, crouching down, and she is no longer angry at me. And finally, the woman answers. And I said, listen, I said, I think I'm, I think I'm there. But I said, I just didn't want to open it without talking to you. She's like, I'm really sorry. I fell asleep after dinner. All right, fine. No big deal. Probably means she was having some wine. No judgment. I don't care. So I said, listen, I said, I think, I think she's cool. I think she's ready to get out. But I said, I need to know when I open this fucking thing, is it going to be okay? And uh, so she says, this is what we're going to do. First things first, you're going to put your foot against the crate. And then you're going to drop a treat. So I put my foot against the crate, drop a treat. Good girl. Oh, by the way, she had already sat for me before I got on. So I had done a sit. She sat and I gave her a treat. So I I kind of knew I was there, right? All this in the crate. So now she says, get her to sit. I said, actually, I already got her to sit. She's seated. Put my foot in the crate. Treat. Good. Right? Uh, Then she says, now what I want you to do is open one latch, uh, which is where the biting happened the last time. Open one latch. Drop a treat. So open a latch. Drop a treat. Good girl. Right? Now open the bottom latch. Keep your foot on the gate. Drop a treat. Good girl. Huh? Now open the gate. Step away and just say, good girl. So I open the gate. I step away. Oh, and she says, say, okay. So I say, okay. She fucking charges out and just goes into like exploration mode in the house. But now I've like, I've now let a dog loose in my house who was only minutes ago fucking like a rabid lunatic. So now the woman says, what's she doing? I said, she's going around. I said, actually, you know, I knew she was thirsty. I could tell she was fucking so thirsty. And I was dying to give her water. You know, in fact, I had filled up a bottle of Coke and I was going to start dripping in some water just to give her some. So she went straight to the toilet bowl to drink water. I said, listen, she's drinking water out of the toilet. Um, so then I filled up a water bowl, but she didn't care. I said, it's fine. The toilet was flushed. So then she says, now what you do is just sit down and uh, wait to see if she comes to you. And about four minutes later, she came over to me. I pet her. Uh, and of course, I'm like quietly freaking out, but I'm I'm expressing confidence so the dog doesn't tell. I pet her, and uh, she says, "If you've pet her, she's going to be all right. She's going to be okay to go on the leash." So I grab the leash, tell her to sit. I get her on a fucking leash, and I get her out of the house. And Jesus Christ, I was never so fucking happy to take a dog for a walk in all my life. Um, and that's the story of Layla. So, the next morning. So I, whatever, I, I have the night where I take her for a couple of walks. I, uh, I start doing like, get in the crate, get out of the crate. I put her in the crate that night. The next morning, she's similar. But it only took me about 10 minutes to calm her down. And since then, I've never had a problem. But I, I now I have a whole like, I'm just trying to create this whole inside the crate positive experience for her. The, the quick, uh, quick version at the end of the story is they both, both the trainer that gave me the dog from the shelter and the woman that dealt with me on the phone, called a lot yesterday, really, really apologetic and sorry, and, you know, gave me the option to return her, and I said, no, fuck that, I said, when I return this dog, this dog is going to be never happy to be in a crate, he's going to have no problem with barrier aggression, this is going to be the happiest fucking dog, never going to bite another human being, as long as this dog is alive, so I've taken on that task, Layla, the stroke victim, who was terrorized by a cat, is now living with me. She's cute, you know. She's not. She's not as cute as Becky, but she's cute, and she's got a great coat and funky, fucking disorientated vibe about her. And her sideways, she she holds her head to the side because of the stroke. So she looks a hundred percent of the time. She looks like a dog looks when you whistle at them. So you know when they make that little side turn. She looks like that all the time. Uh, 
And whatever, I know some people are going to think I'm crazy and it's dangerous and dogs can turn on you, but fuck it, man. It's a pandemic and I feel bad for these animals. And after watching normal people and seeing the stupid decisions people make when they're fearful and they're wounded, who am I to judge this dog for its inability to express how it really feels? And God knows I can identify. God knows I've spent a lot of my life making mistakes based on my fear. Often masked as anger or arrogance. So I'm not going to judge this dog for that one bite, that one mistake. Because if I was judged on that one mistake in my life, I'd be a lonely guy. All the mistakes I've made. So Layla, we'll give it a shot. I'm certainly going to give you some time. Probably going to protect myself a little bit and not fall in love with you like I fell in love with Becky because it's fucking heartbreaking. Fostering dogs is kind of like some sort of fast track of how you learn to protect yourself and love. So I'm going to protect myself with Layla, but at the same time, I feel like Layla needs me a little more than Becky needed me. And I'm going to be there for her in the best possible way that I can. And, uh, and the truth is that, of course, I need Layla too. I need the company. And I like the fact that she gives me something to do. She gives me companionship and I will give her, perhaps, a new foundation. A slightly, just a hint of reprogramming to make her more adoptable in the future. Or at least if she's not adoptable and sadly her life has to end early, that at least towards the end, it was more positive. And in these dark times of the coronavirus where these questions of life and death are thrust before us and issues of morality on how much a life is worth are forced upon us. I think it's all just a wonderful cyclical journey to end this conversation on. Life and death and the mistakes that we make. Have a good day. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.